Thank you for choosing to listen to our sermon podcast. My name is Chris Mitchell. I'm one of the pastors here at First Covenant Church of Anchorage. If you have any questions or prayer requests, feel free to stop by or send an email to office at anchoragefirstcovenant.com. God bless. I actually have Jeff back up here because um, Jeff has a has another secret identity um, where he's an operations director at Kayak. Um, right across the parking lot from us, and uh, he's going to share a little bit about Bible Camp. Yeah, yeah, it's a big, big season for us over at Kayak Covenant Youth of Alaska. We got our annual Bible Camp happening in June. Actually, it's going to start in May 30th is high school camp, and so I just want to encourage you guys if you have uh, youth who would like to attend Bible Camp right now is a really good time to jump on the website and get registered for Bible Camp. We have an early bird special. Knocks off a little bit of the price uh, if you register before April 15th. And so that's something for you and your family to talk about. See if you want to send your students out. Um, and then we have high school week, junior high week, uh, trailblazers, which is fifth and sixth grade, and then pathfinders, which is third and fourth graders. And so got kids in that age range, uh, think about sending them to camp out in Unicleed, Alaska. It's a great time. We, we do a lot of fun things, and uh, so we would just, we'd love to see your students out there. Also, if you have availability and would love to volunteer for camp, we're always looking for counselors and uh, cooks and uh, handyman to help out at camp, and uh, I think right now we're really in need of some lifeguards and uh, camp nurse, too. Uh, so if you have those, those skill sets, those are special skill sets, we'd love for you guys to sign up. Once again, you can check it out on the website, um, and you can fill out a volunteer application, and then we'll get in contact with you and let you know. Uh, yeah, get you all plugged in for serving. So if you have any questions about Bible Camp or serving at Bible Camp, I'll be out in the welcome area at the end of the service. Feel free to grab me and ask me any questions that you have. So thank you. Old that Bible Camp is the best thing the Covenant does in Alaska. <laughs> and so if you want to know about our church, go to camp. Go to camp, help out, serve. Um, you don't need kids. They have all ages. There's lots to do. Um, it's a wonderful time. It was a blessing. I, I, I got to go last week, or last year, not last week, last year, um, I, I got to speak for high school, and it was, it was great. Um, it's a wonderful, wonderful thing. Oh, have I said who I am? I'm Chris. I'm the pastor. Nice to meet you guys. Um, Okay. Well, this morning, we are going to finish our series on 1 Peter. Um, and we've been, looking, we've been going through 1 Peter because um, it was written to encourage Christians to hold on to their faith against the cultural first forces that were at work to undermine their faith. All right? And uh, as we've done this entire series, we're going to start with reading aloud uh, 1 Peter 3 through 5 which kind of summarizes the main ideas of the letters, right? Christ has given us true life, eternal life with him, and he will not forget you. Whatever hardships you may suffer, he will keep you until he comes in the fullness of his kingdom. So, please, one more time, uh, join me as we read aloud 1 Peter 1, 3-5. Praise, oh, oh, sorry, okay. Praise be to God the Father, our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope 
through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade, this inheritance is kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. Uh, there's this one phrase in that little doxology that just stands out to me. Um, shielded by God's power. And actually, that's what I titled it. Um, oh, you can go back to the other one. Um, yep. Shielded by God's power. Uh, what does that mean? Um, shielded from what exactly? Because one of the reoccurring themes in First Peter is suffering. I mean, I titled last week's sermon, Bad Things Happen. <laughs> okay? Like... Uh, and one of the verses that we looked at last week was, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that comes to test you. And, and I'm left wondering, I'm like, well, if bad things are going to happen, if we're all going to suffer, if we're all going to face hardship just like everyone else, then what exactly are we being shielded from? And that's what we're going to talk about today um, in First Peter 5 as we wrap up the series. So let's begin by reading 1 Peter 5. To the elders among you, I appeal as a fellow elder and the witness of Christ's sufferings, who also will share in the glory to be revealed. Be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, watching over them, not because you must, but because you are willing, as God wants you to be, not pursuing dishonest gain, but eager to serve, not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd, sorry, I lost my place. When the chief shepherd appears, you'll receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. In the same way, you who are younger, submit yourself to your elders. All of you, clothe yourselves with humility towards one another because God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on him, because he cares for you. Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, looking for someone to devour. Resist him. Stand firm in the faith, because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of sufferings. And the God of grace who called you all to his eternal glory in Christ, after you have suffered a little while, will himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. To him be the power and the glory forever. Amen. And with the help of Silas, whom I regard as a faithful brother, I have written to you briefly, encouraging you and testifying that this is the true grace of God. Stand fast in it. She who is in Babylon, chosen together with you, sends you her greetings, and so does my son Mark. Greet one another with a kiss of love. Peace to all of you who are in Christ. Uh, so this, this chapter starts with Peter letting us know that he personally witnessed the sufferings of Christ and will participate in the fullness of Jesus' kingdom. Now, now, when he says witness here, it doesn't necessarily mean watching Jesus be arrested, um, tortured, and crucified, though he, we know that he was present during some of that. Um, what it means is, 
that that he suffered as Jesus suffered, right? He participated. Um, referring to the last chapter, Peter said that suffering for Christ was a blessing that enabled you to be transformed more and more into Christ's likeness and to share in his glory. And Peter here, when he says that he's a witness, he's saying that he's followed the same path as Jesus, right? He's seen the same things, and he has suffered as well. He suffered for Christ. And then he calls upon all of his authority as an apostle and a friend of Jesus to tell the elders, the pastoral leaders of the church, the teachers, the deacons, the board members, whatever, don't be bossy. Don't be bossy. Don't look out for your own good and your own honor. Instead, serve. Be humble. Don't abuse your authority. Be self-sacrificing. Be an example. And, and just, you know, th these are the types of verses that cause, you know, people like me to be self-conscious. Uh, so one of the cars that my family has is a Lexus. And um, it's a, now, it's a 1999 Lexus. Um, and I'm sure it was nice in its day, but now it's a mm, kind of maintained 24-year-old car. Um, and, and when everything is perfect, it rides really nice. But um, it's rarely perfect nowadays. And, uh, and it has this really great sound system, right, because it's a Lexus, um, but it's old. And so there's, there's only a tape deck. Right? Not even the CD player, there's a tape deck, so we have like one of those old school cassette things that you plug in, um, and you can plug it into your phone or whatever. So it's, 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 it's a pretty modest car. However, however, um, when I take it to the shop, they'll give me a loaner car. And it's always a brand new Lexus. <laughs> and, uh, and it is super nice. And it drives so smooth. But if I ever see anybody I know when I'm driving that car, I, I feel like I have to say, uh, just so you know, this is not my car. Um, this is a loner. Uh, I, 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 don't think, I don't think I could have something that nice. <laughs> um, and it's silly, but I, I don't want to be one of those pastors uh, with nice clothes and car and house. Well, actually, my house is pretty nice. Thank you, Jamie and Erica, who I bought the house from. Um, they made it nice. Uh, uh, you know, people make so many judgments about those kinds of pastors. I mean, there's even a Twitter account in a book called Preachers and Sneakers. Right, which showcase preachers with their extravagantly like expensive clothes, and they tell you how much everything costs that they wear, and it is em embarrassing, really. Uh, now, now that's just a superficial example, but as a pastor, I do have to ask myself whenever I preach, am I preaching out of my own experience? Uh, not that leaders have to be perfect. I mean, y'all know me better than that by now. I'm not perfect at all. But am I, I living out the values that I encourage you to follow? When I ask you to do something, am I doing likewise? And, and that is something you should ask me and Pastor Christie and, and the board members and the prospective board members, right? You should be able to ask us, like, are we living out the faith that you confess? Are you living that out? How are you living it out? And, you know, hopefully we'll be able to give you an answer. Or at least then, I'm really trying. I'm really trying. Lord, help me. <laughs> now, there are also some, some words for young people, too. And, and, and like his use of elders, um, young doesn't necessarily mean age. It means people that are training to serve in ministry. And that's everybody, right? Because we're all supposed to be growing in our faith. We're all supposed to be servants. Um, we're all supposed to be elders in training. Right? We're all working. And uh, so...
Christians that are not in leadership positions. Listen to the elders. Learn from them. Elders, remember, you're supposed to be a servant. A shepherd cares for their flock and would even risk their life for them, just like Jesus Christ, the great shepherd, gave his life for ours. And what all these things boil down to is um, that all of us, both the leadership and the laity, we're supposed to be humble. We're supposed to serve one another. We're supposed to look out for one another's good, encouraging one another, learning from one another. And, and we demonstrate. We demonstrate our humbleness by casting our anxieties on him. Okay, this is just a, a fun nerd fact, uh, but the word cast that is used here um, is only found one other place in the Bible, and that's in Luke's account of Palm Sunday, when the disciples, they put their, their clothes on the donkey's back for Jesus to ride into town. The Sunday that we're celebrating today, that all the kids came in for. The disciples cast their clothes on the donkey they form, to form a saddle for Jesus. That's the only other time it's used. And likewise, we cast our anxieties and our fears and our doubts and our angst and concern and agitation and desperation and unease, everything that plagues us and keeps us distracted, everything that makes us look at one another with suspicion and fear, we cast all of that onto God. Our fears about being vulnerable, our shame about being able to confess our sins, I mean, how many of us have a hard time confessing our sins? Actually saying it. Our pain over humiliations, over abuse, all those things that feed our anxiety, they're at work to keep us divided and alone, to keep us from intimacy and friendship, to keep us from being a part of a real community. But we can cast those things onto the Lord. God can carry those burdens so that we don't have to. We have to learn how to give it to him because he has our future. And uh, this is just a side note. Whenever I talk about anxiety, don't feel bad if you have to take medication. Um, so I take meds, and I see a therapist for anxiety, depression, and PTSD. And all those sort of mental health things kind of overlap. Um, but I take them because I refuse to give in to anxiety and depression, right? I will not let brain chemistry and past trauma hold me hostage, right? I want to be able to give that to God. So don't be afraid to seek help. Uh, for you, me, that might be part of the ways that you're learning to be humble enough to cast your anxieties onto him. All right. So now I'm coming back to the question, the big question, shielded by God's power that I posed earlier. And I said, shielded from what? Bad things still happen. This letter's been about enduring while suffering. So what does it mean to be shielded by God's power if we're still going to suffer? If bad things will still happen to all of us, just like they happen to everybody else? And at last, in verse 8, we kind of have an answer. Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. That is what we're shielded from. All the things we suffer in this world, all the anxieties we experience, all the ways that we attack and accuse one another, all those things are distractions and feints. 
to keep us from noticing and paying attention to the real enemy, Satan. Remember, Satan is a Hebrew word, right? It means accuser, an adversary. And even, even diablos, the devil, right? That's a Greek word. That means the same thing, accuser, accuser, slanderer. And all these worries and anxieties and sufferings of this world are to distract you from remembering that our real enemy is not of flesh and blood. Our real enemy is not other people. And there is a part of me that hates saying that, honestly. That just hates saying that. Um, especially like this Sunday, because I feel like it, it, it kind of makes things too easy. Um, because on Monday, there was another school shooting. Right? Three kids and three adults were killed at Covenant Christian School in Nashville, Tennessee. And to make it even more personal, they were Evelyn Dickhouse, age nine, a third grader. Mike Hill, age 61, the school custodian. William Kenny, age nine, another third grader. Catherine Kuntz, age 60, the head of the school. Cynthia Peak, age 61, a substitute teacher. And Haley Scruggs, the nine-year-old daughter and only child of the pastor that housed the school. You know, my youngest son is nine, and I couldn't even imagine losing him to mindless, needless violence like that. And I would like to blame people. I would like to blame politicians that refuse to talk about real ways to practically help solve the epidemic of gun violence in our country. And I'd like to blame people with extreme political views that are able to hijack winner-take-all elections that pull us to extremes on either side and to keep us polarized by inaction and lack of compromise and resist honest dialogue, right, and treat that as a virtue. I would like to blame the mental health crisis that our country faces, and I'd like to blame so many things on so many people. And I, I even have, like, you know, specific people, even, I can think of in my head that I would like to blame that guy, that politician, that, that one right there. And I'd like to say, that person right there, he's the problem. She's the problem. But as much as I would like to do that, I know these things are not the ultimate problem. And I'm not trying to absolve the blame from any of these things or, or, or people or societal structures. Yes, I think those things are part of the problem, and we should work to hold everything and everyone accountable. Um, that, that's good. But um, in the words of Don Corleone and the Godfather, our true enemy has yet to reveal his face. Or, like the paraphrase of The Sopranos, our true enemy has yet to reveal themselves. Peter is telling us who the true enemy is. It's the devil who prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. And that doesn't mean we shouldn't work to change laws or vote out politicians or whatever. We still work for justice, yeah. But we don't let the evil that is done, the suffering that is inflicted, to feed into our fears and anxieties. Okay? We have to remember, don't let it feed into our fears and anxieties. We don't let our frustrations, anxieties, and fear hold us hostage. And turn against people that have opposing viewpoints. Right? Even those that have opposing viewpoints that we might think of as despicable. We don't let them turn our opponents into enemies. Mrs. Fannie Lou Hammer uh, is one of the heroes of the Civil Rights Movement. And she was a woman who was beaten to the pulp in the Mississippi jail. 
she repeatedly risked her life to train volunteers in voter registration movements. She was mocked from coming from a poor sharecropper's family and for being barely literate. She was rendered sterile uh, when given a hysterectomy without her consent while seeking medical help for a tumor, an operation that was so commonly used, it was called a Mississippi appendectomy. She was a woman that faced such incredible hardship and suffering and persecution. Ms. Fannie Lou Hammer, she said, it wouldn't solve any problem for me to hate whites just because they hate me. Oh, there's so much hate. Only God has kept the Negro sane. You have to love them whites, for they know not what they do. Ms. Fannie Lou Hammer knew that white folk weren't a problem, even racist white folks, even the ones that were actively working against her, even the ones that hurt her and tried to kill her. They were not the ultimate problem. Yes, she was committed to working towards justice and equity, but she could not do it through hate. They were not the real enemy. There was another hidden enemy at work. The Satan prowling like a roaring lion, seeking to whom it can devour. She worked against injustice, but she didn't forget the real enemy. Right? Ephesians 6.12, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. And that's what it means when we read, shielded by God's power. It means that the accuser cannot attack us unless we open ourselves up to him. Cast all of your anxieties upon God, because the accuser has nothing to use to blame and to shame you. Jesus Christ, through his suffering and death, has assumed has taken on all the blame and the shame and the accusations and sin upon himself. You're shielded by God from all of Satan's attack. So be vigilant. Be humble. Don't forget who the real enemy is. Be alert and sober-minded so you don't fall for the lies, giving in to anxieties and fears and hatreds for others. And, and we're all going through this. We all go through this. Peter tells the family of faith, tells us that the family of faith throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of sufferings. Okay? That's the family of faith, you know, nearly 2,000 years ago and us today. We all go through this. We all suffer. We all want to hate. And yes, there are other forces that amplify things and stuff like that. But we all deal with it. We all want to just blame somebody. But that doesn't mean, this doesn't mean that all the suffering is the same. But it means that the devil prowls around all of us. It uses all sorts of things to make us suffer, to make us anxious, to give, make us give in. But the God of grace who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, after you had suffered a while, will himself restore you and make you strong. Right? This world, this life is not the end. Keep your eyes set on eternity. If our eyes fail to see eternity and only focus on the present suffering, we lose sight of Jesus. We lose sight of Jesus. And if we lose sight of Jesus, we lose our life. We lose our hope. Um, this is Palm Sunday. Um, in the liturgical calendar, it's actually called Passion Sunday um, because the readings are it's always uh, uh, one of the, the entrances, but it's also um, one of the accounts of the crucifixion. Um, or at least one of them from the Synoptic Gospels, either Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John. It's always read during this thing. 
because the lectionary is designed to remind us that the same people that shout Hosanna and cheer Jesus were the same one who five days later shouted to crucify him. Right? There's no life, there's no redemption, there's no glory without the cross, without suffering. But the roaring lion that seeks to distract you with the cares of this world wants you to take your eyes off of eternity. He's lost. That's what the cross that we're here for, that we gather to remember that he is lost. He has no power. We are shielded. We are shielded by faith. Um, I want to close with a prayer by Fleming, Fleming Rutledge. Uh, she's an um, amazing, uh, um, amazing Episcopal priest. Uh, one of the first women ordained in that denomination back in 1977. Uh, this week I've been reading through a collection of her Holy Week sermons, and they're uh, phenomenal <laughs> and powerful. And really, anything you hear from me this week is probably some sort of uh, regurgitation of her brilliance. Uh, she's amazing. But um, I was really taken by this prayer, and I want to pray it with you this morning to close this out. My dear brothers and sisters in Christ, with all my heart, with all my mind, with all my strength, I desire to convey to you that this week, while the world goes about its business, the meaning of existence was revealed to those who have eyes to see. The true significance of the headlines comes to light as Jesus of Nazareth goes his solitary way. In the readings of the Passion, on Thursday night, as Jesus eats his Last Supper, and goes forth to be betrayed. Friday noon, as he hangs exposed and naked on the cross and pours out his life, God is acting. In the events of this week, the cries of those who suffer have been heard by the only one who could, the only one who can, the only one who will deliver on his promise that there will be a happy morning. But it only comes, it only comes by means of his death. Let's, let us follow him then this week to the foot of his cross. Let us come together in mind and heart to behold our Lord as he gives himself up for the sake of the whole world. Let us come in heart and soul and mind, in faith and in trust, to confess truly this man is the Son of God. Amen.